1: I don't know. But I don't want any more socks. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I knew it was going that way.
0: (laughs) Good.
1: Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Happy Hanukkah and Merry Kwanzaa and what whatever whatever holiday you observe, we we hope you're having a great one. Absolutely. Um Adam and I both celebrate Christmas, so that's what we say, but we don't mean to leave anybody else out.
0: Right. Right. So Uh, Real quick, before we get into it, uh, I want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can go through, search their website and find some different shows that you might not find normally and and check those shows out. So go to podbelly.com, check them out. Now, we don't have any sponsors this episode because it's a supposed dark week, but Matt and I cannot be dark on Christmas, so... Instead of running ads, this show we will just say, go support our sponsors as you can um, by supporting our sponsors, using our links and purchasing stuff from them. Then you let them know that their ads are worth it on our episodes and they'll come back and that helps us out. It helps us to stay a free show and not have to charge people more on Patreon and all that stuff. So go support our sponsors if you would. That helps us out tremendously. Matt, I don't know. Can you see behind me? I have put up Christmas lights for the I occasion. I noticed that. Um, yeah, that's the best I could do. I thought about wrapping them around my mic stand here, but I figured that would throw off the camera a little bit. having <laughs> Lights that close, so
1: we, yeah, we, it might get might get some interference. I don't know how shielded Christmas lights are.
0: Yeah, probably not good. There'd be a constant <laughs> in the background. Yeah,
1: that's right. But you know, it look good. Right. So Adam, so. Tonight is uh, episode one. Yep of our of our annual uh, listener stories Christmas episode, mm-hmm. and man, you, you guys, you, you guys really blew us away. Oh yeah, I mean we we got we have gotten so many stories uh, to share with all of you guys tonight that we're gonna actually well again have a second episode, right? That will be that will be coming out uh new year's eve that will have the rest of the story so if you don't hear your submission tonight um don't panic um most likely it's going to be in the next one we Mm -hmm. just we couldn't cram them all into one big enormous show so you're gonna get you're gonna get two
0: right um we decided not to split it up into like 14 like we did uh last year uh, 14 individual shows that you get like one every day for <laughs> six months or something. Um, so this one might Did be a little, eh, it was close. It was something like that. <laughs> it felt like that editing. Let me tell you what, um, but and this one might be a little bit longer than some normal episodes, but you know, Merry Christmas, uh, happy holidays from Matt and I, you get some extra stuff. And like Matt said, thank you guys for sending in your stories yet again. Um, These are some great stories. So um, why don't we go ahead and get into it?
1: Okay. So uh, for those of y'all that don't know, that are just coming on going, what's this show all about? Uh, We are celebrating the Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories around the fire on Christmas Eve. And I read an interesting thing that said, um, you know, Americans have pretty well shifted all of the ghost stories and supernatural to Halloween. Yeah. But it wasn't always that way. And it is no coincidence that the most famous Christmas story is a ghost story. Have right. you ever thought about that? Yeah. You know, when you when you think of... Ebenezer Scrooge and the Dickens classic A Christmas Carol, probably the most famous Christmas story of all time. It is a ghost story.
0: Right. Right.
1: And and that that's by design. And so we're going to we're going to we're going to bring that tradition back once again this year.
0: Right. So go grab yourself a cocktail or something like that, sit down get the family around and we're going to go through these stories. I, myself, I've mixed myself an old fashioned for the evening. So
1: as, as have I
0: nice. So we are going to be, uh, partaking as we read. Um, so you guys do the same, uh, get some eggnog or get the kitties, some of that, uh, non-alcoholic sparkling grape juice that Michael likes. And that way they can feel included as well. So, let's get started here. I've got a couple shorter ones to start off with, and then they will get longer. Don't, don't you worry. Oh yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll go ahead and start here with a couple shorter ones. Um, now this one actually came from our phone number. Um, they text messaged this to us. So if you ever want to text us anything, that's 430-558-1304. You can text us and, um, I'll try to reply to you as best I can um, answer whatever questions you have. Um, But this one came from a text message and it says, hello, Graveyard Tales. Here is my story for the Christmas episode. Earlier this year, I had to put my service dog down after many years of faithful service unexpectedly. Well, for about a week afterward, I heard him moving around and playing with his toys. At one point, I even saw his tail. And that Friday, I got a new dog who will become a service dog also. Um, That night, I saw a full-body apparition of my service dog for a brief second. After that week, I read that a number of service dog owners have reported paranormal experiences related to their furry friend's passing. That makes sense because these service dogs are dedicated to helping their owners and dogs... One of the reasons I love them is they are loyal to the end, and they it makes sense that they would want to stick around at least until they knew you got you another service dog and that that dog was helping you, but I thought that was a really cool story, because I personally have had an experience where um, my Jack Russell Ellie, we had to have her put down, uh, you remember, mm-hmm. her... Mm-hmm. Um, I several times thought I would walk by the bedroom and see her laying on the bed and I'd do a double take and she wasn't there, but out of the corner of my eye, I would see her still laying on the bed. So I get it. Um, And I thought this was an awesome story and I wanted to kind of start off with this one. It's a quick one, but it was a good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it's funny that as we were talking about dogs, I can hear Boone out in the yard barking.
0: Yep. Yep. And you may hear my dogs in a minute too. (laughs)
1: He, does, he, he did not see me come in here, so he doesn't know I'm out here. Oh, good. If he knows I'm out here, he will scratch and bark at this door. Mm-hmm. Wanting in.
0: Right. Okay, so I got another quick one here, and this one is from Kaylee. And Kaylee says, I was listening to your Jefferson Hotel episode, and what you said about imagine following a ghost thinking it's a person only for it to disappear. Well, that happened to me, so I thought I'd tell you about it for your Christmas show. As November tenth, twenty thirteen, at Nidri Street Vaults, Edinburgh, Scotland, or Edinburgh, or however I don't know, <laughs> the best I can do. Love it. <laughs> We're going down to Edinburgh by. Um, all right. So this says instead of doing the usual night out for my twenty first birthday, my best friend and I decided on a trip to Scotland. We're close by in Ireland. Um, more to the point going on a ghost tour. Now, the vaults, as you might know, are a series of underground storage units from the 1700s. Their usefulness, however, was short-lived as they were carved from porous limestone and seemingly endless rain of the Scottish capital means the goods and wares being stored there were often damaged. The merchants began moving uh, their businesses and products out, and instead, the dregs of society moved in where the law tended not to go. Gambling, illegal breweries, prostitution, and the destitute congregated down there. Um, It should say a lot that Burke and Hare favored it as a means of procuring and transporting bodies. It says, many souls, good and bad, still linger in the vaults, and I've had the good fortune and misfortune to encounter both on my subsequent visits. As recent as Halloween night this year, but back to the night of my birthday. We had a small group, seven of us, including the guide. He led us along a corridor by torchlight, regaling us as we went. And I, at the back of the group, just followed the outline of the crowd ahead of me. I must have zoned out because when I went to follow the outline in front of me in a pitch black cavern, an arm stuck out and blocked my passage. I stopped, confused, and looked to the guide who stood just beside the entrance and told me, we'll go in. When I finished this story. Further bewildered, I turned around to the rest uh, of the corridor where our tiny group were standing looking back at me. No one missing, and apparently no one in the room I had almost just followed someone into. I asked my friend afterwards about it, and she said, Yeah, we didn't know what you were doing, but he said to wait before we went in, and you just kept walking. To make matters worse, When we returned to the hotel that night and started getting ready for bed, I found a long, fresh scratch down my arm. Naturally, from Edinburgh in November, I had dressed warmly, a jumper and thick coat. So it unnerved us just a little bit extra. I took a picture of it. I have it somewhere. Um, I have been to the vaults many times since, and my experiences down there just keep building, seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling. The rich history of misery has accumulated uh, has culminated into a hive of negative energy and paranormal activity rarely seen and experienced in many places. If you find yourself in Scotland, be sure to visit. So that's kind of weird. She did mm-hmm. follow a ghost.
1: Yeah, and and to get a scratch through all that clothing?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, oh, that, that had weird. to have been a, a pretty good scratch, pretty forceful or something that went under the clothing yeah, to get Yeah, that's what it. I'm
1: thinking. Something that clothing wouldn't have been a barrier to.
0: Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, and as we know, um, like Kaylee was saying, all of that bad stuff that happened there and, and the negativity just leaves that paranormal sludge that builds up over time, and you you tend to experience
1: things like this. Yep. So this next one comes from Ariel B., And Ariel says, working as a massage therapist, I come across some characters. If the patient was a talker, conversations had the potential to be unusual and thought-provoking or plain old downright weird. For example, years ago at a chiropractic office in which I used to work, there was a patient, let's call him Bob who was a recovering cocaine addict and a born-again Christian. As a fellow Christian, I try not to judge, but considering the documented effects of long-term cocaine use, I did take some of the things Bob said with a grain of salt. Like the time he said he met comedian Gabriel Iglesias at a local Best Buy. Hmm. Well, maybe. Yeah, could happen. Bob usually had morning appointments. During one of his treatments, there were stones in a warmer on a rolling cart in one corner of the room, heating for a later appointment. We didn't keep the the stones set up in the room when they weren't needed, since they took up valuable workspace and the appointments for hot stone service were few and far between, so this was the first time Bob had seen the setup. Bob was a chatter, and during the course of the conversation, he asked more about the hot stone service. Then he said, very matter of factly, the spirit in this room doesn't like the stones being in that corner. That's where he hangs out. Hmm. I stammered a bit confused. I beg your pardon. Bob went on to explain that he had the ability to see spirits and that there was always the same spirit standing in the corner of my treatment room. He said he got the impression that the spirit was nothing to be afraid of. Instead, it was watching over the room as if it were a protector, like a guardian angel. She said, huh, really? Uh, there's a guardian angel in my treatment room. Okay, if you say so. I wondered aloud if the property had been some Native American holy ground or ancient burial site. Then the conversation turned to other topics. I have since moved on to a different profession and had all but forgotten about this episode until I was back in the office for a massage trade with my former coworker. We were trading 90-minute massages, so we were in the room for the better part of the morning. At some point, the lights in the room, which were on a dimmer switch, dimmed and surged a couple of times, and my coworker said, that was weird. When I mentioned that this used to happen periodically when I worked there, she jokingly added, must be the ghost in the room i knew she'd said it in jest but it sparked the memory of the conversation i'd had with bob years earlier i asked if she had ever treated him and told her about the conversation he and i had had she she said she did remember him because he had mentioned to her that the spirit was not in the room when she was working and he figured that the spirit was not attached to the room but to me specifically hmm wait What? I thought to myself, the spirit doesn't watch over the room. It watches over me. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Who is this spirit? Does it watch me work out? Does it watch me take a shower and get dressed? Does it watch me when I'm intimate with my husband? Should I be creeped out here? That's what I worry about. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Wait a minute. Uh, Then my mind wandered down memory lane to a time when I was training to run a half marathon. I had a four-mile run on my schedule, but we had just turned the clocks back an hour. And I knew if I took the time to drive to one of my regular running haunts after work, it would be dark before I got off the trail. So I decided to hit a trail closer to the office that I had not run before. I parked close to the trailhead, grabbed my water bottle, and started off. Passing only a few other people during the first half-ish mile, I thought I had stumbled upon a hidden gem of a trail, one that is not clogged with people. But a little further down the path, I got an uneasy feeling. The trail had just left a wooded area and was traversing a wide open space for about a quarter mile before entering another wooded area. With nothing but grassy field all around me, I was wary. What had had set me off? Had a person I passed done something that heightened my awareness? I continued to run thinking the uneasy feeling would pass. When I took several more steps and the feeling increased, I said a little prayer. God, if this feeling is unwarranted, take it away from me. But if it is warranted, you better stay right by my side until I get back to the car. As plain as if someone were running beside me, I heard, turn around. Not one to argue with so forceful an answer to prayer, I did an immediate about-face, forward sprint, back to the parking lot, and as soon as my car was in sight, I hit the unlock button on my key fob, slowed only slightly to actually open the door, then threw myself in, slamming the door behind me, then slamming on the gas to get out of there. I don't know what was waiting in the wooded area on the other side of that open space, but something was definitely looking out for me that day and there was the time I was cycling on a trail I travel often and heard yelling in the woods along the parallel riverbank, which is separated from the trail by several yards of lightly wooded area. People frequently fish along the riverbank, and talking and the rustling of folks walking to their fishing spot are common noises, but yelling not so much. My curiosity was piqued. I thought maybe someone needed help, but my earbuds prevented me from clearly hearing what was said. As I contemplated stopping, something compelled me to keep peddling, that there was nothing to see here and I'd need to just move along. So I did. Two hours later, as I was passing the spot on my return trip, I happened upon two police officers walking the trail, thinking that was odd since I hardly ever came across park rangers on the trail, let alone cops. I then needed to swerve to the edge of the trail so as not to be clipped but the patrol, by the patrol car that was following about a quarter mile behind the officers on foot. Finally, putting two and two together, I was thankful that something had prevented me from stopping earlier, and I picked up the speed so I wouldn't risk happening across whatever the officers were looking for. She says, finally, there was the time at Moonville Tunnel. Since I can no longer run nature trails, I hike them. And in my search for new and challenging trails, I discovered a, a, tra- I discovered a rails-to-trails project in Venton County, an absolute gorgeous area, gorgeous area of southeastern Ohio, very near Hocking Hills and Zaleski State Forest. The Moonville Tunnel was part of a railway that passed through the small Ohio mining town of Moonville. The town was abandoned by the early 20th century, but the tunnel remains. And has had a reputation for being haunted. I had been wanting to visit the tunnel for quite a long time and finally planned to take planned a hike through and beyond the tunnel for a cool November day. As I laid out my timeline and hiking route the night before, I started to get an uneasy feeling. I told my brain to mellow, to not get psyched out because I was planning a trip to a notoriously haunted location. The next morning, I set out early since it was over an hour's drive to the trailhead. As I hit the highway to get out of the city, I heard a whisper in my head saying, you don't belong here. Stop it, I told myself, you're just psyching yourself out. But deep down, I couldn't shake that uneasy feeling. Almost an hour later, as I turned off the highway onto a scenic state route, the whisper was louder when it said again, You don't belong here. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I'm fine. Stop psyching yourself out. Eventually, the GPS instructed me to turn off the state route onto a one-lane gravel road. The voice was no longer a whisper and was more urgent. You don't belong here. Stop it, I said out loud to myself. I'm fine. But the further I crept along that backcountry gravel road... The more creeped out I became, and the louder the voice in my head got. You don't belong here. Still, I continued to ignore. Finally, I reached the tiny pull-off parking area for the tunnel, and the voice in my head became a frantic shout. You don't belong here. Yet I got out of the car, grabbed my hiking stick, pepper spray, and water bottle, and hiked up the small embankment to the trailhead. Now, I'm the hiker who likes to hit the trail as the sun is rising. The earlier in the day, the easier the parking, and the fewer people on the trail. But by this point in the morning, the sun had technically risen. But as I stood at the top of that embankment, looking down the other side of the tunnel a short distance off, I was unnerved to see that the sun had not yet risen to the point of illuminating the tunnel, or what lie on the other side. I stood there, staring as if in a trance at the utter blackness inside and beyond that tunnel. The voice in my head became a panicked scream, Get out of here, now! The trance was broken and I sprinted down the embankment back to my car. I wasted no time in barreling out of there, not caring that the speeding tires were kicking up gravel and ripping up my undercarriage or that I was taking a precarious one lane gravel road at what could be considered highway speeds. I couldn't get away fast enough, but the further I got from the tunnel, the less uneasy I began to feel. By the time I hit the blessed pavement of the state route once again, the uneasy feeling had completely lifted, and the voice in my head had hushed entirely. Still determined to hike that day, I wound my way through Vinton County to Ash Cave, still early enough to nab a spot in the tiny parking lot, and hiked the well-worn trail to Cedar Falls and Old Man's Cave, then back. I have no idea what was lurking in or beyond the Moonville Tunnel that day, but I'm thankful that something was looking out for me. Despite all of this, and what Bob may say, I seriously doubt whether or not there is a guardian angel that is continuously at my side. Yet, I must admit that I am comforted by the idea that someone or something is constantly watching over me. I wonder if Bob saw whether this spirit was wearing a jetpack in order to keep up with my driving. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a pretty long story. And, and thank you, Ariel, for, for your submission. Um, but there's a lot going on in this story. And, and I like the way it all links back to the fact that she had someone tell her that there is a, a spirit that is keeping an eye on her.
0: Right. Right.
1: And it, and it appears that if it's the same spirit that it it's trying its best to keep her safe.
0: Yep. And she said she kind of doubted that there was, but I'll tell you. We've talked about this before, Matt, and I've been told I have a guide of some sort that helps keep me safe and kind of lead me in the right direction. So I don't doubt it. I think we all have somebody watching out for us or something watching out for us if we just will listen. And I think that's the the key. We need to listen to them.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm we we've kind of bantered back and forth about guardian angels and things like this i i don't i don't really know where i where i fall on the whole guardian angel thing i i probably fall more to the i i don't really believe that um but i do believe that there are spirits that can communicate in times of need to us Mm -hmm. and most typically, it's a past loved one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've mentioned on the show before, if you hear your name, if you're ever alone and you audibly hear your name or you believe you hear your name, you should answer because it's somebody that that cares about you trying to communicate with you. Right. So th- this was this is really a, a great example of the potential that Ariel may have some a, a spirit of a past loved one that's just keeping an eye out and they may have known you're going into danger Mm -hmm. and you need to stop
0: yep exactly so thank you ariel for that story that was great um let's get into the next one real quick this is from andre um and i wanted to say real quick didn't say this at the top of the show if we mispronounce your name please don't take offense to it um we're just two big idiots doing our best um
1: we are equal opportunity
0: mispronouncers. Right. Sometimes I mispronounce my own name, so don't feel bad. Um, my last name is Ballinger. I'm a damn. Yeah, a damn. Um, my last name is Ballinger. So if you can think of some saying with the word balls in it, I have heard it. Um, I've heard a damn ball binger and all sorts of stuff. So. <laughs>
1: As long as I've known you, why have I never put that together?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we quit recording, I've got a few more that are too vulgar, I can tell you. Uh, But this one is from Andre and says, it was back in high school. My friends and I were really into the paranormal. We always snuck uh, out of our house to go to abandoned places. One day at school, it was a Friday, my friends O and L came up to us and told my friend Jay about a place they discovered behind our school. Now, behind our school, there was a long, probably about five to seven mile creek. The creek starts from a little bridge connecting from the junior high to the neighborhood I used to live. Uh, Anyway, our friends told us about this place and that they saw a chopped up dog and bones laying down on the ground in a pentagram. So of course my friend Jay and I talk about getting the guys together to go see for ourselves that same night and boy it was fun for us Now there is a group of myself J F J R and his brother J S M E and J P a lot of people using their initials
1: words um, are made from
0: letter people
1: <laughs> abc <laughs>
0: I'm just glad I didn't re- try to read that all as one name. Just Mipajip.
1: <laughs> that sounds like something we would probably do.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why I figured it. I'm glad I saw the commas. Now, it says we snuck out of F's house because that's where we would be most of the, um, most of the time and all met by the bridge. That's when the paranormal stuff started to happen. Once we gathered... We went across the bridge right behind the junior high and other things that's behind the junior high would be a tennis court and a baseball field. But for some reason, myself, Jay and JS looked towards a tennis court and saw a big dog like shadow. Uh, the tennis court has a fence around it and the fence would be a little shorter than the light poles. Um, so I would I would say like 20 feet. Um, this dog like shadow stared back at us. And then walked in the opposite direction into the creek. Uh, My friend Jay said, are you guys seeing this? And simultaneously, both I and my friend said, yes, we weren't scared. We were uh, we three ran towards it to make sure we weren't seeing things and saw it again. But this time it disappeared right in front of our eyes. Just in case you wanted to know the color of the eyes we saw, they were red. We catch up to the group and continue um, to walk down the creek and we got halfway uh, to the halfway point, which was a little abandoned house. It happened to be in a field and on the field, there was an 18 wheeler. Now it was old and beat up and just left there to rust. So everyone went in beside myself and my friend Jay. We stayed outside to make sure no one was following us just to make sure you and Matt know we did all have weapons. Um, I had two big knives. F had a small bat. JS and his brother had knives. JP being stupid, uh, he brought a Nerf gun. Yes, he is that dumb. (laughs) That's not going to do you much good there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, M brought brass knuckles, and E brought his dad's handgun. So, I would say... I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in being armed if you're going to go out into the woods and yeah. all that stuff, because you never know when an animal just might come at you, let alone a people's. Right. Um, now, this says to continue, we stayed uh, outside to make sure that no one was following us and both of us hear a whistle. Then everyone goes silent and we look at one another and Jay says, do you hear that? I reply, hear what? There's nothing. No sound. I did not hear a whistle. Nothing. We both look at the house and see uh, everyone looking around. Uh, They came out and told us there is a hole in the middle of the floor and to go and look. Now, I had a glow stick with me for this type of thing, and I break it open, then drop it in the hole in the middle of the floor. It was about 10 feet deep. I don't know what what was going on in there. We look down and there goes uh, JP. He says, yep, I'm out. And walks out of the house. And we continue to move towards the pentagram, and we keep hearing whistling. Um, as we do, Jr., who happens to be a magnet for ghosts and supernatural things, um, he is uh, he is the scared one of the group, only because by himself he had a lot happen to him. Um, you guys hear that? He says just to, uh, just to make a laugh. I yell out, yes, I do hear that whistle, and whatever it is, sucks at it. He calls me crazy, and everyone laughs, and we continue. We pass by a junkyard full of rock, uh, rocks and big boulders. We take pictures in there as a group on one of those machines, and then dogs chase us out. And finally, we get to the pentagram, but this time the whistling stops, and we all gather around it and look at it and notice that it wasn't just bones that O and L told us about. This was fresh, like whoever had done it had just finished doing it and placed them down there and said, you could feel the heat from it. And we we all look at one another and E said, uh, you guys want to find out who did this? And around the pentagram, there is like this forest. We go in a group looking for any signs of whoever or whatever did this, but didn't find anything. Um, so we hung there A little ways from the freshly chopped up dog. um, And there was a little clearing that had one of those giant antennas. The ones you see that are red and white. Uh, EF and myself climbed it to see um, who could go the highest. Now, we all stop at the uh, white bar because the wind was blowing pretty hard up there. um, And it made it swing back and forth. Now, we gather once more around the pentagram, look at it. And I'll head back to F's house. And that was the night. Um, that was that night. And for me, it was pretty fun. So they're catching some weird stuff out there with pentagram and like a ghost dog. And whatever. And it, it makes me wonder if there was like some group performing a ritual out there. Or if it was maybe just somebody screwing around and knew that they were going to get somebody's attention, but whatever it was, it sounds like there was a spectral dog out there.
1: You know, whenever I hear stories about this, not, and, and thanks for your submission. I'm not, I'm not poo pooing your story. Um, it's great. And I've, I've done something very similar when I was younger, but my default is always, this is somebody messing around.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. You know, and I include messing around with somebody that's just dabbling in this kind of crap and they don't know what they're doing. Not Not that I would know what I was doing, but some people get this idea that they can somehow Communicate with the dead or conjure demons or something like by doing this. Look, I assure you, uh, you know, just, you know, harming animals and drawing a pentagram. You're you're not going to get anywhere. okay? other than being just a low
0: life. You'll get attention, but it be from cops and not anything you want.
1: Right, so when whenever I, I hear somebody tell me about this, and it's usually a story from their childhood, you know, much like mine are, um, I always just think it's just somebody messing around. But there's always that chance. Mm-hmm. And look, even somebody that's messing around and and thinks they're doing something, even if they're not, that person could be quite dangerous. Right, so. It's not something to just sit there and look at and go, huh, 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 huh. somebody did it. It didn't happen by accident. And that somebody might be dangerous.
0: Yep. So, so you got
1: to, you, you got to be careful.
0: Yep, you were lucky. You didn't run into the person who did it because they may have been crazy enough to hurt you and your friends. Right. Right. Um, real quick, Matt, uh, let me grab another short one here uh, before you grab one. Um, this is from Keith, And it says, I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. My mother, brother, and I lived in a flat that was pretty old. It wasn't long after moving in that my mother proclaimed that this flat was haunted. She told us that she would see things that made her believe uh, that this was true. But it took a while for me to have an experience of my own. I was sitting watching TV and my brother and mom, uh, with my brother and mom, when during a commercial break, they got up to go to the kitchen and grab a drink. It was while they were out of the room when all of a sudden the closed captioning came on the TV. I should mention that this was a mode of the TV that was never used. But it came on and the words on the screen didn't match the words coming out of the speakers. The TV told me, I am going to kill you. Then it flashed off the screen. But then a moment later, it came back on. I'm going to kill you. I mean, if... This was during an action movie. I would have chalked it up to a misplaced caption, but this was really misplaced. Never before had this sort of thing happened with the TV, and it never occurred afterward. The only thing I could say it was, was the ghost that occupied our apartment. As I talked to some folks the next day that had also been happening, uh, happened to watch um, the one of the two channels that were available in South Africa at the time, and they had told me that they had not seen anything like that.
1: That's kind of weird. That's that's like the whole, uh, you know, Siri or Alexa saying, "What? I didn't, I didn't catch that in the middle of yes, the
0: night. yep,
1: dude, like, what, I had that happen to me last hear? night.
0: I, I legitimately had that happen last night. My okay. Google popped up with it heard something, and we were all asleep." And my phone went, bloop. and so I, I woke up, and I looked over at it, and the, the Google assistant was up listening to something, yeah. and I was like, oh, crap. So I, I just exited out of it real quick and went back to bed.
1: Now, when it's in your bedroom, I I usually say, you said something in your sleep. You mumbled mm-hmm. something, and it picked up on it. Maybe. I've had it happen with the one that's in the kitchen. Oh yeah. Okay. So everybody's in their bedrooms. There's nobody in the kitchen. So maybe maybe the cats, you know, made a noise and it sounded like it woke Alexa up. I don't know.
0: Maybe. It's weird. I don't know. It, it is, is, is very
1: weird. <laughs> oh, and just as and as a side to that. Uh, that happened a bunch at mom and dad. Oh, really? Like mom and dad's phones would do it a lot.
0: Well, this that makes sense. was a few years ago. Yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. Our next story comes from Julius M. So Julius says, I have two encounters to share that have a possibility of being connected that happened late in 2009 to early 2010. The only reason I say that is because they took place around the same time. I've attached two pictures to show the skyline to show that what I saw couldn't have been confused for something else. He says, so I grew up in a small trailer park in the town of Baroda, Michigan. When school was in session, all the kids would meet at the bus stop. So there is a possibility of multiple co- uh, corroborating on this first story. So one morning when waiting for the bus, there were two lights floating in the sky. The best way to describe them was that they were basically unmoving headlights about 60 to 100 feet off the ground. He said, in the attached pictures, they're about the same height as the trees on the left side. The school bus eventually arrived and we didn't really talk about it much. The next day, the same lights were still there. They didn't move from their spot or change in brightness, but we still paid them no mind. Then on the third day, they were there once again without any change. Then a cloud moved in front of them, and once it moved out of the way, the lights were gone, never to be seen again. The second encounter took place while in the bathroom of the trailer we lived in. The bathroom had two entrances, one in the hallway and one in the main bedroom at the end of the hallway. So one day when I was in the bathroom, I heard what sounded like footsteps and heavy breathing come from down the hall and make their way into the bedroom. I could see shadows of what appeared to be feet come in from under the door. They stayed there for a little bit, then made their way out of the room and back down the hallway. Once they were gone, I quickly finished my business and booked it down the hall. As I was making my way down the hall, I glanced into my, my brother and I's room to see what I thought was a larger black figure in the room. The only people in the trailer at that time were me and my mother, who was asleep on the couch at the time. I didn't hear or see anything the rest of the day or any day afterward. He says I hope you guys can make sense of what I experienced and can maybe give me a little more of an idea of what could what could be outside of uh what it could be outside of a UFO and ghost. Well, the shadow, the footsteps, seeing seeing the what looked like feet under the door. i'd say that's probably a ghost (laughs) yeah i mean you know if it was if it was an intruder i would sure think it would have woken your mother up on the couch or uh, they would have done you know something bad
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know but just to make their presence known like that um sure does sound like some type of uh some, some type of spirit now the lights what do you think about the lights adam I don't know.
0: See, what I was thinking is we have heard stories both of ghost activity having things that resemble UFO activity in it, Mm -hmm. and we've heard stories of UFO encounters having stuff that resembles ghost activity in it. So I'm trying to think of the ranch that we talked about, Stardust Ranch, I think it was, where... He had UFO activity and then also had stuff that kind of mimicked spirit activity in the house. Right. And it, it just, it makes me think, um, like I've said before, I think all paranormal activity could probably be related to one thing and we just experience it in different ways. Yeah. So... I think it's possible that it is one of the two uh, or you are one of the lucky few that has had both experiences, a UFO experience and a paranormal experience.
1: So when we we bring up topics like Stardust Ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, the Bridgewater Triangle, those kind of places where you have all varieties of of experiences, you know, UFO uh, ghosts, um, cryptids, any and, and anything in between, um, You, I always think of two things. One, um, something about that area has a very unique energy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a high energy that allows for these uh, experiences to occur. You know, there's something that, uh, you know, draws UFO sightings to that area. There's something that would keep a cryptid, you know, in that area um, or or have enough energy to allow a spirit to manifest. Uh, and then you that just kind of bleeds into the idea of, po- of the possibility of a, of a portal. Right. Um, so with this story, I, I don't know anything about this area of Michigan, but I guess there's that possibility that there's a high energy there and you're you just happened to experience two different things that were probably not related, but were both connected by some level of energy in that area. And I mean, you know, we know the Michigan triangle is there, right? Um, you know, so that that's a potential I with with just the lights and with the fact that they're not moving, I, I don't think I would immediately go UFO, but I wouldn't immediately dismiss it either.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Okay. On to the next one.
0: Uh, This is from Jamie. Says, I've been aware of spirits since I can remember. And I have a lot of stories, but I'll start with just a couple. I grew up in Yorba Linda, California, which is in North Orange County in Southern California. We moved into our brand new house in 1984. My dad would get up really early for work, like 3 a.m., and I could see the hall light from my room and hear him making coffee. At least five times this happened that I would get up to go say hi to my dad downstairs only to find no one there. So I'd come back upstairs and turn off the light and get in bed only to have the hall light turn back on moments later. I didn't really think anything of it except that it was weird. My other story happened from when I was about four to six years old. I remember feeling someone holding my wrist when I was in bed. So I would walk into my parents room and say, hey, someone is holding my wrist. And most of the time, I would just sleep with my parents. I remember this happening for at least two years. What's weird is that I mentioned it to my mom a couple years ago. I'm now 39. And she said that she doesn't remember me doing that at all. But she did remember me coming in being scared, saying that there was someone standing by the shelf I had in my room. I found it very weird that this happened for years and we both remember it differently. So that is weird.
1: It is weird, and you know sometimes childhood memories of hauntings vary from what the adult that's on the outside looking in will experience. Yeah. Um, yep. Because for whatever reason, maybe they're not fully into it. You know they mm-hmm. they don't they either don't see the same thing, they don't hear the same thing, and because. I've done this with mom and dad. We've, we've remembered experiences from my childhood that happened in the house and even with my sister. And even though we may be talking about the same event, we all remember it slightly different. And, you know, some folks may go, Hey, you know, that's just, that's how everybody's memory works. Okay. But we all have certain specific details about similar events Mm -hmm. so i don't necessarily think we're misremembering i think that it was a unique experience for each and every one of us yeah you know we've we've we, we brought this up in one of the i think one of the haunted prisons that hauntings can be very specific to you that you what you experience wouldn't be exactly the same as what someone standing next to you might
0: yeah exactly so yeah
1: that's a that's a possibility too that you know, you just, y'all are remembering the same events, but you're just not remembering the same. Um, but, you know, children seeing spirits standing in the room is not that uncommon. No,
0: um, it's not.
1: And I know a lot of people just get it, they chalk it up to bad dreams or imagination. Yeah,
0: vivid or, imagination.
1: I'd say some of them are legit.
0: i say a lot of times if your kid comes and tells you something like that believe it Mm -hmm. because as much as unless you've got your kids watching a lot of horror movies at a really young age that's not something that they would just make up most of the time yeah so believe it you know pay attention to it a little a little more than just brushing it off
1: yeah and uh for those of y'all that have kids with uh imaginary friends sit down and have a conversation with your child about what this imaginary friend does Oh, yeah. Yep. You, you would probably be very surprised at what you'll hear.
0: Yep. And uh, I would say 75% of the time it's not imaginary.
1: Right. And, you know, a child is just not able to process it. Mm-hmm. They understand that everybody can't see them. You know, they're being told that nobody else can see them. Yep. But it's real to them. Right. You know. Anyway. woo <laughs> We're getting we're, we're we're getting into some spooky stuff here, Adam.
0: Oh yeah, I like right. it.
1: So uh, our next story comes from Kiki. Kiki, I, I like your name. Um, so I, I thought Adam was going to say something. <laughs> I like your name, and then crickets. But, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I,
0: That's thought, all right. I also thought you had more to say, so I was waiting for ah, you to okay.
1: finish. <laughs> okay. All right, Kiki, here's, here's your story. She says, I will, now I'm assuming this is a she, I don't know. So I apologize. Um, But Kiki says, I'll preface this story by saying that I am sensitive to entities and energies. I have known this all my life, but it is not something that I share with others often as it raises questions and doubts about my credibility or even my mental state. However, this is a safe space, and I know I won't be judged here. That is absolutely correct.
0: 100%.
1: My shared experiences with some coworkers a few years ago brought us closer together and even prompted me to open up a bit about my own prior experiences. I grew up in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. Here we are, Michigan again. Oh, yeah. And I've had experiences with paranormal as far as I can remember, but some of the most memorable were more recent, and they occurred after I had moved to the Charlotte area of North Carolina. I lived there with my husband for several years. Okay, so my assumption was right. And though we have since moved back to Michigan, I began my career as a preschool teacher in North Carolina. I sensed as soon as I began working at this particular school that there were at least two distinct and powerful entities. However, for many months, They did not make themselves known to me beyond a feeling of being watched and neither seemed to bother the children, so I left the spirits alone. One of the spirits, I became pretty sure after a while, was the previous owner of the school who had passed away before I was hired. The presence was distinctly an elderly female who kept a close eye on the staff and was very protective of the children. Several co-workers who had known the previous owner but not what I sensed, confirmed that this described the late owner very well. The second presence, however, was more sinister. After a while, I began to see movement around the room out of the corner of my eye. A shadowy figure, about the size of a toddler, but all black, that seemed to dart from door from the door across the room very quickly, almost impossibly fast, and was certainly not one of my students.
0: That's creepy. Jeez. I
1: I did not and do not believe this spirit to be human, but this spirit did not seem inclined to interact with the children. My coworkers never mentioned seeing anything like this, and the presence of the previous owner made me comfortable enough that I felt nothing was going to cause me or the students any harm. Unfortunately, I was wrong. Hmm. I became quite close with my co-teacher, I'll call her T, and a teacher in the classroom next door to mine, I'll call her D. T and I led the class for younger twos, two to two and a half years of age. D taught older twos, two and a half to three years old. Our classrooms were adjoined by a small bathroom with several small toilets for potty training purposes. The doors of the bathroom had large glass windows from which you could easily see from one classroom through the bathroom and into the other classroom. Dee's classroom was also right next to the playground. Sometimes when my class was outside, she would open the window and we could chat or exchange information. This layout is important, I promise. T, D, and I began to notice little things around our classrooms. Something that was out of reach of the children might get knocked over, although no one was near it. Little things like keys would be found in places we hadn't left them. The broom in my classroom, in particular, would fall over for no apparent reason, even though no children were near it. My coworkers and I began to joke and say, it's just the school ghost. I didn't think they believed in spirits, but it became a little inside joke that brought us a giggle every so often. My students, being under two and a half years old, their communication abilities were limited to a few words or short sentences. I had a student, a very intelligent and creative little girl, who I suspected was also sensitive to the spirit world. She would often appear to be holding conversations or interacting with someone that we could not see. My coworkers chalked it up to an imaginary friend. She didn't seem frightened, and again, I was aware of the presence of the previous owner, so I was comfortable enough not to intervene. However, one afternoon, things took a much darker turn. We were preparing to put the children down for their nap. This girl slept near a corner of the room right next to the closet. We had put out her bed, and she was sitting patiently as we helped other students prepare for nap. The lights in the classroom were still on, and I suspected nothing out of sorts. All of a sudden, I was startled by hysterical screaming. This little girl was running at me from across the room as fast as her little legs could carry her, sobbing uncontrollably, tears running down her face. She was in a state of absolute panic. She clung to me, crying, and would not let go. She was screaming incoherently about the corner. It was a good few minutes before I could calm her down enough for her to tell me what had happened. Being only two years old, she could not fully articulate the experience. What I could understand, however, as she was frantically pointing to the corner of the classroom beside her mat, was that the people in the corner are scary. Mm. T and I exchanged alarmed looks. The corner was completely empty. Furthermore, there was no way for an unauthorized person to get into the building, let alone my classroom, due to security measures. T and I were the only adults in the room, and no students were anywhere near this girl's bed or the corner. T was particularly freaked out as she had never had such an experience in her life and did not know how to comfort a child who had seen something that she could not. I sat next to the little girl until she fell asleep, which took a while assuring her that I would keep anyone or anything from harming her. I hoped that this was the worst that would happen in my classroom. Yet again, I was wrong. Mm. T and I had relayed the story of the people in the corner to D who was also pretty freaked out. She believed us. Thank goodness. But she was clearly relieved that it hadn't happened in her own classroom. Her relief was short lived. One day, several months later, T and I were out on the playground with our class. We could hear what we thought was the usual commotion from D's room through the open window until we realized that D was calling us both over. We could hear the alarm in her voice. T and I hurried over to the window where D was standing with a hysterical student in her arms. The little boy was screaming, crying, and was quite inconsolable. We could get nothing articulate out of him and we didn't want to upset him further. Well, so we asked D, you know, what was going on. And D related to us that the boy had been standing near the bathroom where there is a line of sight through the windows and into my classroom. My classroom at the time was empty and the lights were off as, all, as we were all outside on the playground. D heard the boy start to scream and cry. Being closer to three years old, this boy was able to articulate what he had seen better than my other student. He told D he had been looking into my classroom when he saw a tall, dark figure shuffling around the room. The boy was just as aware that the room should have been empty because he liked to wave at his friends from my class through the window during our recess. He understood that we were all outside, not in our classroom. At that point, the boy had gone into hysterics, which was when D called us over to the window. We were all justifiably scared. D even investigated to be sure that the classroom was truly empty, which it was. Again, due to security, it was very unlikely that anyone unauthorized had come in. We even asked around to see if another teacher had come in to look for us, but no one had. The incident made a true believer of D and she was forever cautious when entering my room. I'm not sure what changed, but after this second incident, there were no more occurrences involving students. Perhaps the previous owner stepped in, as she was definitely definitely protective of the children. Things around the classroom would still move or go missing. I still felt watched, and I would occasionally glimpse the small dark figure moving across the room but nothing out of the ordinary happened to the children. So we all eventually felt enough at ease to begin to relax at work again. Thankfully, that was the atmosphere right up until when I left. I would say that I've had no incidents at my new school of employment, but that changed not 30 minutes ago. I was typing this story up for you on a break. When I came to the office to clock back in, the iPad with the clock in app abruptly turned itself off as soon as I touched it. I had to call my supervisor to get it working again. She was thoroughly confused as this had never happened before. We have a very reliable device. I felt no presences in the school up to this point, but I've got my eyes peeled now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right?
1: So, I, what? I, I, look, I'm a, I, all honesty, full disclosure. I, I had not read Kiki's story before. Okay. I did not read it beforehand. Um, cause I, you know, I, I wasn't even sure that it was a female. Okay. Yet we had just talked about kids and imaginary friends mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff and kids see in spirits. And then bam, we get yep. Kiki's story.
0: Um, Very apropos.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's fascinating. And these stories always, I always like these stories when it involves multiple people experiencing the same thing. Yes. Not yep. just, not just because of the, uh, the corroboration, but there's some, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for there. There's some comfort in knowing that it's not just you.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's experiencing something because, you can really begin to question your own sanity when oh, yeah. things like this happen and when when you've got somebody else who's going through the same thing with you you can you can look at one another and go hey we know that we are not crazy this mm-hmm. is really happening but yep. what what a what a, a great story but i mean it's it's fascinating that um that this school would have this much activity going on
0: and, yeah, I know.
1: And you be able to pick up on it because as we've said before, sometimes when you're when there's a lot of stimulation going around, you're not focused enough to pick up on that kind of stuff. So this was really right. something trying to make itself known.
0: And a lot of times at schools, if there is activity, it happens after everybody leaves mm-hmm. and it's only caught on cameras. It's right. not experienced personally. So that's pretty cool that you experienced it personally. Okay, so this next one is from Corey, and Corey says, I'd like to tell you about the time I saw a ghost give my boss a balloon. Prior to uh, getting going in my career, I worked at Dollar Tree as my uh, day job. I worked at two different stores, and according to co workers, both were haunted. I only ever experienced any activity at one of them, however. To start, we had a display for some music CDs that we sold. The display had a motion sensor and would play a sample of Spanish guitar music whenever anyone walked in front of it. One night after closing, I was in the office with the store manager, and I heard that familiar guitar melody coming from uh, out in the store. We checked on our way out, and no one else was in the store besides us. The activity seemed to focus on one of the assistant managers at the store. I'll just call her T to preserve her anonymity. As I got to know her, I learned that she was one of those people who had experienced strange activity frequently throughout her life. She and my co-workers who worked shifts with uh, with her started experiencing more activity in the store. One night after closing, T and a co-worker both said that they glimpsed the figure of a rough-looking old man out of the corner of their eyes. I myself never saw an apparition or anything, but I did witness something strange. The ghost seemed to take a liking to T and would sometimes give her a balloon. This is something that I witnessed myself. It was late afternoon and T and I were both ringing up customers at the register. There were uh, mylar balloons tied up all around the store and a few stray balloons that just floated against the ceiling. I saw one of these balloons begin to slide across the ceiling toward T. She just said something like, there it goes again. Both myself and a customer watched as the balloon slid across the ceiling and then slowly floated down next to T. She took it in stride, and I just laughed nervously as I finished ringing up the customer. Skeptically, the balloon could have just been blown by an air vent, and some sort of temperature change might have caused it to lose its buoyancy. However, there were numerous loose balloons in the store, and none of the rest drifted close to T, and this happened multiple times while T worked there at different locations of the store. So that's my balloon ghost story. I didn't personally experience anything else after that, and T stopped working there a few months later. Okay, so I, I, I like how they threw in the skeptical mm-hmm. argument. Yeah. But for one, like they said, none of the other balloons had that happen to them. So right. why would only one balloon be affected by wind and temperature change? And two, what kind of coincidence would you have to have for a gust of air to catch one balloon and then temperature drop enough in a store to drop that balloon without people feeling, hey, it got really cold in here all of a sudden mm-hmm. and none of the other balloons drop. So I, I I, really think that was I mean, that was meant for her to for T to see.
1: Yeah. I'd be interested to know if it was the same balloon every time. Yeah, that 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 would just that would solidify it. But right. I think I think you're right, Adam. I think this is something, and and I picked up on when they saw it, they heard T say, "There it goes again." So mm-hmm. even though that might have been the first time they witnessed it, it sounds like it had happened more than once to T already. For I mean. Yeah. If if something happens once to me, just out of randomness, and then it happens again at some point, I usually am not thinking, there it goes again, like all exasperated. But if it had happened like four or five times, then maybe that's how I would respond.
0: Yeah, right. So
1: that kind of gives the impression that she'd experienced this before and nobody else had noticed it.
0: Yep, exactly. Yeah, so that-
1: that to me alone says this. Some, something makes this legit because it's not going to continue to happen when the same person is there. If it's if mm-hmm. that's truly what it was, if it was an air vent, a temperature change, it would happen at random times, and it certainly wouldn't necessarily happen near her. So
0: yeah, exactly. Um, all right, man. I got another real quick one. I'll knock out uh, before you go again. This one is from Lynn says, I woke up one morning to take my dad for a cancer surgery. As soon as I woke up, I heard a man with a breathy voice say, hey. I said, nope, not today. I can't handle you today. Uh, I'm getting everything together and about to load the car, and I feel something shove past me against my thigh out the door. Freaking out, I'm thinking my cat just got out. I dropped everything on the floor and go outside to try and find him. After a few minutes, I go back inside and the cat is sitting on the table looking at me like I'm a whole dingus. Obviously wasn't the cat, but who was it? I definitely heard and felt them. Now, the second story is my mother-in-law died roughly 11 years ago. While alive, she was a definite believer in the afterlife and paranormal and everything spooky. I knew if she died, she would find a way to communicate with me. And boy, has she. First instant was, instance was her coming to me in a dream and basically telling me she was just fine and happy. Second one still gives me the absolute shivers. I had plans of going to Shiloh Battlefield, and the night before, I had dreams of meeting someone whose father or grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. That day at Shiloh, I had heard voices down at the church and on the radio uh, were all of my mother-in-law's favorite songs. I'm thinking, okay, okay, hi, Ma. Well, I knew she was around and watching over me. While driving home, a lady who was drunk or high nearly creamed us when she fell asleep at the wheel. I got out to check on her, and she was talking a mile a second about her Pentecostal grandpa being in the hospital and that he was a local preacher. All right, Ma, I hear you. I'm listening. Thank you for the warning. I miss you and love you greatly. Mm. So that's interesting. Got a, eh. I like that all of her favorite songs were on the radio Uh because that adds a little bit to it. Right. Um, And then the dream of the Pentecostal preacher was kind of a warning, some way of saying, Hey, you're going to have this experience and I'm, I'm letting you know so that, you know, I'm here watching you.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, what I'm what i taking away from this. Lynn, you said uh, in that first part, you heard the hey, and you said, no, not today. I can't handle you today. Now, that's kind of opening the door to say you've had some other experiences. Mm-hmm. So you heard the voice. That's what and it ins- sounded like to instead me. Instead of going, what was that? You responded to the voice, meaning you've heard this voice before. Right. So it sounds right. like it sounds like Lynn may have a few more stories that she could share. So that's yep. pretty cool. And, and thank you so much, Lynn, for sharing the ones that you did with us. Absolutely. All right. So this next story comes from Jacob. Now, Jacob says, thankfully, I have a good memory. And I have archived a couple of those tales my grandparents told me in my mind. And I'm going to share one of them with you. This one comes from my papa. When he was in high school, Papa was somewhat of a hustler. He was a hard worker and did lots of odd manual labor jobs for people in his small backwoods community. But one of his favorite side jobs was to sell bees to local bee farmers. He would sell the farmers queen bees because they were the most valuable. Without a queen, the hive cannot work. The way he would do this was to wait until dark on a warm summer's night That was was when the bees would be the least active. He would, illegally, sneak into old abandoned sheds, fishing cabins, barns, you name it, armed with a flashlight and a bee smoker. He would find a hive, blow some smoke into it, and calm the bees, then carefully break the hive open and begin hunting for the queen. The ethics of what he did sunk in after he had graduated from high school. Now in the far south, like Louisiana, they have Bigfoot, swamp people, and giant gators. They also have the occasional tortured soul wandering the bayou. They also have another cryptid that is much more fearsome, however. It's known in whispered country tales and rumored folk stories as the Rougarou. It's a swamp-dwelling werewolf beast that is coated in thick black fur with razor-sharp claws and teeth. The rogueroo is blamed for cattle mutilations, missing persons cases, and general property damage. My papa and I believe that it roams the swamps of Louisiana. The story that my papa told me, the way he told it to me, made me a believer in the rogaroo One summer night, my papa sneaked out of his house and headed east, about half a mile, till he reached Ponchatoula Creek which ran along the outskirts of his hometown. He carried with him a flashlight, a bee smoker, a mason jar to keep the queen in, and his trusty slingshot in case he came face-to-face with some undesirable creatures like gators, raccoons, stray dogs, etc. Remember, this was the 60s in Louisiana. It was a different time. Papa had either seen or someone told him about an old abandoned fishing cabin along the creek and he thought that this was a great place to look for a hive. After a little searching and some careful foot placement, he found the cabin, and it was creepy. The cabin was more of a shack with half of its roof caved in. The windows were boarded up and the door off its hinge and moss growing all along the outside. I remember when he was telling me this story, Papa told me that the cabin reminded him of an old voodoo witch's hut from a ghost story he had read one time. As he made his way toward the shack, Papa got the distinct feeling that he wasn't the only thing sneaking around the bayou. And it wasn't the other normal wildlife. It was something else. Now, my Papa has always been too smart for his own good. He has confidence to a fault. And that confidence sometimes gets him in trouble, especially when he was a young man. So instead of doing the cautious thing and surveying his surroundings, he determined that whatever he was feeling was simply indigestion or a random temporary bout of vertigo. He continued to move for the shack. Papa had to be careful as he approached the cabin. The cabin was right on the bank of the creek, and even though it was slow moving, he didn't relish the idea of falling in and having to sneak back into his house, sopping wet and muddy.
0: Or fight a gator. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Flicking on his flashlight and continuing to ignore the uneasy feelings he had, Papa reached the entrance to the cabin. He carefully pushed the broken door in and shined his light into the cabin. It was clear the cabin had been abandoned for some time, the floor was nearly gone, and what remained of it were the floor beams, which at one time held up the cabin's flooring. Before he entered the cabin all the way, however, Papa shined his light to see if he could see a hive that was easy to get to. At this point, he heard a splash from across the creek. Quickly, Papa turned off his light and crouched behind the broken door. He peeked out to see what could have made that sound. He hoped it had been a harmless animal taking a midnight swim, but he was afraid it may have been another person. Now, I don't know if this particular detail was actually how it was or if he added this for dramatic effect, but when Papa told this story... The moon was full and high in the sky, but it but it sounds cool, so I'm going to keep it in. <laughs> As he peered out the cabin, Papa saw that the full moon was reflecting off the creek and illuminating the surrounding woods. The moon was also highlighting something big hunched over in the creek.
0: <laughs>
1: the thing was covered in fur, so Papa's first thought was bear, but Papa said his blood ran cold when he saw the thing stand upright. It went from looking like a bear, to looking humanoid, to having a dog-shaped head. Papa covered his mouth from making a sound in shock as the giant dog man began to walk down the creek. He couldn't look away. He was entranced by fear and curiosity at the marvel he was witnessing. Papa insists to this day that it was not a case of mistaken identity. You cannot mistake a 7-foot to 8-foot tall hulking, dog-headed monster. The beast never looked at my papa, but he swears it knew he was watching it. It lumbered down the creek for at least a minute or two. Then suddenly, it turned and walked back into the woods, away from my papa. But papa said he sat there for an hour or more, taking in what he had seen and making sure that it wasn't waiting to jump him. He went back home, totally forgetting about his original mission, and spent the rest of the night laying in bed, unable to sleep. I believe my papa, and I think he really did see the Rogaroo that southern night. I'm of the opinion that creatures like the Rogaroo, Bigfoot, Fae Folk, the Mothman, and other cryptids are spiritual creatures. Personally, I think they're able to move from their mother dimensions to ours, perhaps not entirely within their will, though. I don't have any answers. I'm only one of thousands wondering, trying to find my way through the graveyard.
0: So I like that. I love
1: this story.
0: You know, I like cryptids and I have wanted us to do the Guru for a while, but just haven't got around to it. That's great.
1: So when, when you hear us at the end of an episode, say, look, we probably have some listeners living in the area. If you have a story like this, you know, let us know. This is what we're talking about. Um, You know, yep. th- this is a, I'm going to say secondhand account of, you know, the Ruggaroo. But it's a very, very good one because I look my grandfather's they they told some they told some stories but you can always tell just like you can with my dad talking to my kids you can always tell when when pop is telling a a, a big he he's got a big tall tail he's spinning okay mm-hmm. but you can also tell when he's not and when it, right. when it's something legit even if it sounds crazy you can tell and i think in this story Jacob can tell that his papa was telling him he wasn't telling him a made-up story to keep him out of the woods. He was sharing with him an experience from his youth. And that's what makes this story amazing.
0: And Louisiana is known to have some crazy things happening, and the Rougarou has a long history there. It's, It's like a dog man werewolf type creature and it fascinates me and that's the first time that i have had someone relay a rougarou sighting to us Mm -hmm. Uh, we get a lot of other stories but that's the first rougarou uh cryptid story that we've gotten so thank you jacob for sending that that's great
1: yeah fantastic jacob we appreciate it
0: Okay, so this one comes from Crystal. It says, so these are my ghost stories on board the USS Abraham Lincoln. Oh! I, yeah, dude, I was excited to see this one. I have to start with a backstory. I come from a huge uh, military background, can go back to the U.S. Revolutionary War. My late father served 20 years in the Navy, spent most of it on aircraft carriers, He retired off of the Lincoln. Unfortunately, he passed two years after his retirement. Um, It says this part is important. So I graduated a school in November of 07 and requested to be on the ship that I grew up around in my preteen teen teen years. My request was granted. I cried, LOL. March 08, we start our eight-month deployment. I'm in the female birthing. Males are not allowed unless escorted, and they have to announce themselves. I'm sitting in the chair, and I hear my name called by a male voice, Crystal. I look around in confusion, and we don't go by our first names. I ask my shipmates, did you hear that? They didn't. I, real, I realized that it was my dad's voice, and I said, Dad, you know you can't be in here without an escort. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> The, the second incident happened a few months into deployment. I was on watch at 0300. So for anybody that doesn't know um, the 24-hour time, that's 3 a.m. Um, decided I needed a monster, so I headed to the ship's store. I'll set the scene. The P-ways or passageways can be long on a carrier, so you can see all the way down them. It also lighted by red lights Turned on after taps. We have pics of Lincoln down some of the P ways, and he is a he is creepy under the red light. So I'm going down a P way when I see a person coming towards me. It's not unusual, but some nights I don't see anyone. But what is unusual is his uniform. We were required to wear new digital BDUs that were blue and they have since changed. He was wearing our old uniform. He saw me and started to walk faster. I ran to the door that led to the other ladderways that took me down to the store. I could feel him behind me. He didn't say a word. I opened the door and ran ran down the ladderway. After a few seconds, I went back up again and didn't see him. Now, it could have been someone who was messing with me, but it didn't feel like that. Needless to say, I didn't go wandering around the P ways at 3 a.m.
1: No, man.
0: That's crazy. Yeah.
1: That is crazy.
0: I like the, uh, the fact that she registered that it was her dad's voice first and that she told him, you can't be in here uh, without an escort. <laughs> yeah. And him being in the military and being on that ship, he probably went, oh, crap, you're right, and left just out of uh, SOP there. Mm-hmm. But that that's cool. I love hearing stories from... Uh, like like we said recently, all the the ships and stuff, the battleships and the carriers and all that. I love those kind of stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: thank you for sending that one in, Crystal. Um, and thank you for your service to this country.
1: All right. So this next one comes from Dar L. Uh, Dar says, my story takes place when I was nine years old and my grandfather passed away. A little bit about my grandpa, he lived in a small efficiency apartment on the south side of Pittsburgh. He and my grandma were divorced, evidently that was a big deal in 1961. I didn't get to see him as much as I did my grandma, I'm guessing that was because of the divorce. But when I did, he was always very happy to see me and he had a big smile on his face. My grandpa was mostly deaf and I remember I had to yell when I talked to him and I always felt bad because I'm such a soft-spoken person and felt like yelling wasn't polite. He had a park across the street where he lived, and I remember my dad would go to the bar and my grandpa would take me to the park to play on the swings and slide. The thing I remember most about his apartment was the string he had strung across his room so he could hang up his homemade spaghetti dough to dry. He loved to make noodles. Since he couldn't hear well, he didn't have a phone, so the only way to check on him was to call his landlady or stop by to see if he needed anything. My uncle used to help my grandpa with shopping, taking him to the bank to cash his check, and just check on him every couple of weeks to make sure he was okay. One day, the landlady called my uncle because she thought my grandpa might not be feeling well because he had a couple of newspapers outside his door and hadn't picked up his mail. My uncle said he would stop by and check on him. Well, turned out he had died and had been dead for at least a few days. Mm. This was the first funeral I had ever attended. And of course, I was sad and really didn't understand what was going on. Everyone went went over to kneel and say a prayer. So when it was my turn, I went over and looked at him. He looked like my grandpa, but a little weird. But what happened next freaked me out. His finger moved, and I was sure of it. I told my mom that they needed to recheck on him because I had seen his finger move, so he must have been sleeping, and they made a mistake. She said, honey, that's not possible. He's no longer with us. Grandpa has died. Even at a young age, I like scary movies. So I watched Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy, etc. I also watched a lot of old western movies where people were shot and killed. Not sure what movie it was, but in one of them, someone was buried alive and they showed them trying to scratch their way out of a casket. And when the casket was opened, their eyes were wide open and in the middle of a scream. I didn't want that to happen to Grandpa, but no one believed me. I went home that night crying and I couldn't fall asleep because I really thought a mistake was made and he wasn't dead. He was going to wake up and be afraid and screaming. Later that night, I felt something in my room and when I turned around in my bed, I saw my grandpa standing there. He looked at me and with that big smile and told me everything was okay and I could rest easy. I blinked my eyes and he was gone. The next day I told my mom. She smiled and said it was probably just a dream. But I know it wasn't. Wow. Yeah. That's a really that's that's a really touching cool story. You know, you've got a child that maybe doesn't doesn't understand the full concept of death, but sees something that really is making her question this. And you've got a loved one come, you know, coming back and communicating to go, "Hey, it's okay, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry. And, Everything's fine."
0: And we hear that uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, somebody either right after death or even right before death coming to say, "Hey, look, I'm I'm on my way out. It's all gonna be okay." Yep. And it's almost as if they understand we need more comfort about it than they do mm-hmm. and i i think that's it's a sweet gesture on their behalf to come and relay those messages to
1: you yeah yeah and you know I, I i believe in that too because it's happened to me and so uh yeah what a great story thank you so much
0: yep all right this one comes from billy it says well i'm from a small town in kansas and I had rented a house that me and my two boys lived in. Things were great to begin with, but then things started to happen, like coming home from work and all the kitchen cabinet doors and drawers would be open. I just assumed it was my boys, but they always assured me it was not them. Then it would sound like every dish, pot, and pan would hit the floor, but when I would go look, everything would be fine. Things just escalated from there. I started having nightmares, same dream every night where I was walking down the street in front of the house and this thing in quotes that looked like a huge fly and I would start fighting always ended with it choking me and I would wake up coughing and out of breath. I had just recently started going back to church. So at night uh, I would play Christian music, but if I would forget, I would have the same nightmare. The kitchen was always hot. Cold air would come out of the vents, but never seemed to cool off uh, in, in there. Plus, there was always files in, uh, flies in the kitchen. The final thing that caused me to call in help was I was home alone and me and my boxer were on my couch watching TV. There was the loud bang from the kitchen and my boxer ran in there. As soon as she got in the kitchen, she started growling. I could see through the kitchen from the living room so I could see her. I called for her to come back in with me, and she turned and looked at me. Then she flew into the dining room like something had kicked her. She got up and ran into where I was, got up beside me, and was shaking and whimpering. I called a friend of mine that was a preacher, and he said uh, to leave right then, and he would come the next morning and for me to meet him there. So me and my dog went and spent the night at my mom's. The next morning he arrived and said that what it was was a Beelzebub and it was in the back of the house, which is where the kitchen was. He didn't know my house set up because he had never been there. He did a blessing on the house. And if I wouldn't have seen, seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. As we approached the kitchen, his voice got loud. And even though I had my hands on his back, he was pushing against me as if something was pushing him. We finally made it to the kitchen and to the back door, and I felt something go through me and out the back of the house. We sat and visited for a while about what had just happened, and then we both left. When I got back from picking up my dog, we came in the back door of the house, and the kitchen was now cool, and there were flies all over the floor. Needless to say, I moved soon after that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet I would have, too, if for no other reason. Um, there's flies everywhere.
0: Yeah, right. But we, I mean, I know you as well have heard stories of flies being around demonic activity. Yeah. And being associated with demonic activity and also have... Uh, You know, we always talk about the dogs that see things that we don't. And it's amazing to me that not only did the dog see something and react to it, but then it reacted as if it got kicked. Dogs don't fake things like that. You know, they're not going to say, hey, wouldn't this be funny if I jumped over this way and acted like I got kicked? So it's that's weird to me.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that... um. beelzebub is supposedly able to fly and he's often called lord of the flies yeah um you know when i when i when we read that when you read that adam i knew i was like i have read something about this connection of beelzebub and flies Mm -hmm. and um and yeah, sure enough, you know, I was, I was right. I, I'd come across this once before, um, you know, so that, that would have been why they would have believed it was Beelzebub or as they put it, a Beelzebub. There's, we're, we're, we can't go down this path for this show, but there's
0: put a pin in it. We'll come back to Put a pin
1: it. in it. But uh, you know, the, the, the short and skinny of it is, is that, there's a there's a lot of theologists that say that um Satan uh Lucifer Beelzebub any of those names that people associate with the devil that they aren't necessarily the same entity okay mm-hmm. they are uh demons that are in a hierarchy um and, and they they all have unique and special characteristics, but they all right. at some point are affiliated either with Satan or as Satan. Um but you know, the way they put it is a Beelzebub. This gives you kind of the impression that Beelzebub is less of a name and more of a of a of a specific Classification. kind of human. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a a demonologist by any stretch of the word. I, you know, but
0: yeah, well, let me just tell you, this just happened. I don't know if you noticed anything, but while you were talking, you were, you were talking about demons and I don't think this will come across on the audio because it was just in my headphones, but you said a demon in a part of a hierarchy Uh and it went hierarchy. Like, your voice modulated and spiked, and it's never done that before. Huh. That's weird. So, I don't so know. Thanks it, for it's,
1: freaking me the hell out. No, no, I'm just
0: kidding. Yeah, no worries. It it just it, it kind of freaked me out, too, because we've had that uh, weird stuff like that happen with our electronics when we were discussing another DM. Yeah, that's right. So, it's just kind of weird, but thought I would share. Okay, so I got a quick one here from Eddie. Now, Eddie says, when I was a kid, we spent Christmas Eve night at my aunt's house. Well, one Christmas Eve, we were all finishing up dinner and just milling around when all of a sudden the door leading out to the garage opened. All the talking and movement simply stopped as the door closed. And just as that door closed, the door leading out to the back deck opened and then closed. And in between that happening, my grandmother heard a child's voice gently say, Mama, which caused her to jump up and leave the room that she was sitting in. After all this happened, my aunt just simply said out loud, stop it, Luther. Well, it turns out there is a small family graveyard on the back part of their property and has a small grave with a headstone with the name Luther on it. Wow. So the whole family witnessed that
1: one. Yeah. And apparently the grandmother knew what it was. Well the mom
0: did. Oh, that's the it, mom yeah. is the one that said, yep. Um that's crazy. Um and thank you for sending that one in, Eddie, because that that's creepy. Not only is it a kid ghost, but it's a kid ghost that the whole family <laughs> experienced.
1: Yeah. Kid ghost, Adam's favorite.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, so this one comes from Katie and Katie says, Hey guys, my name is Katie, and I have been following your podcast for over three and a half years. God, that's hard to believe. Yep. No, that just, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, it it all, when when people tell us, you know, how long they've been uh, listeners of the show, uh, it just kind of makes us feel like, wow, we've been around this long.
0: <laughs> yep, doing it that long. Holy cow.
1: Katie says, I've always loved the Christmas episodes, but after my experience two years ago on Christmas, I knew I had to share my experience with you. My grandfather died of a rare form of cancer in November of 2019. He had been a very spiritual man ever since I can remember, but started to believe in the paranormal after his wife died in 2010. He always shared his experiences with me because he knew that I have had my own experiences with the paranormal, and I would believe him. As you can expect, my family took his passing very hard, especially my dad. When Christmas came in 2019, I knew my dad would be having an even harder time. I wanted to spend Christmas with him, but because of my job in law enforcement and the six hour drive between us, I was not able to. I had made plans to see my in-laws after my shift at work, but we had a falling out, and I ended up at home alone on Christmas. I was emotional the whole commute back home, but when I got to my driveway and I saw the empty house, I broke down into tears. I felt so lonely and so guilty for not being with my dad despite him needing me there. I remember thinking about how my grandfather had spent many Christmases away from home because he was working. I couldn't bring myself to go into my house, so I sat in my car and tried to pull myself together. I called my mom and I hid my tears so she didn't worry. While I was talking to her, I noticed someone jogging in my rearview mirror. I remember thinking it was very odd to jog on Christmas at 6.30 at night, but what I thought was even more strange was how close to my car they got. It was like they jogged right behind my car, which was in my driveway. It's worth noting that my grandfather jogged all the time after his first battle with cancer. He swore jogging is what kept him alive through the treatment. Anyway, I didn't turn to look at the jogger. I just kept talking to my mom. A moment later, I saw a hand on my driver's side window. I jumped in my seat because it startled me, but when I turned to look, something told me it was my grandfather. I don't know how to describe how I knew, but it was like my soul knew it was him. When I looked at the window, only the handprint was there. It was a much bigger handprint than mine and my husband's. My grandfather was a very tall man with large hands. When I told my sister what happened, she started crying and said, You were feeling alone, and he wanted you to know you weren't alone on Christmas. I waited a while to tell my dad the story, and he said the same thing. He reminded me of all the times my grandfather was alone on Christmas because of his job and how he had never wanted that for his family and always made my dad take off work to celebrate with us. My grandfather always believed me when I told him about my previous experiences. It was something only the two of us shared. I think that's why he came back during one of one of the hardest days I'd had in a long time. I think about it every Christmas, and I'm thankful I get to share the experience with others now. Man, we you guys are absolutely knocking it out of the park. I mean, these are fantastic yep. stories. And Katie, thank you for sharing this because I know this is this is recent. So this is a. Uh, Probably a hard story for you to share, mm-hmm. but what a what a wonderful story! Um, especially a now. lot of
0: these have hit me right in the field. That's right.
1: I mean, especially now around you know the holiday season when you you want to be with family, you remember family members that you'd lost, and and here you're you're getting a message from you know a past loved one that's telling you. You're not alone. You know, I'm right here.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, that. just a fantastic story. And thank you so much, Katie, for sharing that.
0: Yes. All right. So this one comes from Jeff. Jeff says, good morning, guys. I discovered the show earlier this year and you instantly became my absolute favorite paranormal podcast. I even ended up binging every episode available at the time within two weeks. Keep it up. End the story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um,
1: That's the best story of the night. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Jeff says, I have had multiple doppelganger experiences, mostly other people seeing me somewhere, but there was a couple of times I saw myself. The first where I saw myself was around 20 years ago. I was going to the movies with a couple uh, I was friends with. And before we went in, we decided to have a quick cigarette. The mall the theater is at also has a Barnes and Noble, which we were standing in front of. As we're standing there talking, I happen to look into Barnes and Noble, and I saw me inside walking around. While the clothing was different, everything about him was the same. Glasses, facial hair, build, face shape, all identical to me. To get to the theater, we had to go through Barnes and Noble to get inside the mall. When we were cutting through, I looked around to see if I could find the guy, but to no avail. The second time I saw myself was in the documentary Gunner Palace, which followed a U.S. Army artillery, but, artillery battalion in Iraq early in the war. There's a scene where, if I remember right, the battalion commander is being interviewed in the operations center. And in the background, there is a captain who could have been my twin. I was watching it with my girlfriend at the time, and she agreed that he was identical to me. The only major difference was that he didn't have facial hair while I was sporting a goatee. He was even wearing glasses like I do, and just about everything with his build and facial structure were exactly the same as me. There have been other instances where people swear they saw me someplace I have never been. One time, I get a message from a fellow user of a message board I belong to who saw my photo in my profile and addressed me by a different name and asked how I was doing. I messaged him back saying he got the wrong guy. He replies that he thought I was his cousin because we look exactly alike. The weirder thing is that while the guy who messaged me was from a different state, his cousin and I were both in New Jersey. Those are the ones that really stand out. Uh, I've had a few other instances of people saying they swore they met me at a party or that I had long hair. I've never had long hair and so on. But none of these were me. I forget how many doppelgangers I have out there, but I think I added up all the stories and I had at least six. A few months ago, I mentioned some of these to my 10-year-old daughter. She says it means I'm just really average looking. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have a 10-year-old son. That's something That's they would exactly say.
1: exactly right. That's what I would hear too
0: oh that's cool it is cool um we don't get many detailed doppelganger stories so i I thought that was neat
1: that's right i i'm I'm usually always told that i look like somebody that they know like close Mm -hmm. enough that i could be like their brother or something um i've had a few where people say are you sure you never worked at such and such and i think most most of mine are there's just another ball-headed bearded guy out there that looks like looks kind of <laughs> like me. You know, we we all kind of look right. the same. So, so, this story comes from Alyssa and Alyssa says, I love the podcast. But in my regular life, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I have a blog and Instagram devoted to historic headstones and graveyards, mostly from the colonial era so far. It's at where where the dead lie for any of you tap taphophiles out there i guess i'm saying that right I've, i've never heard that term before she says i make 3d models of headstones which require me to spend a lot of time in graveyards walking in a circle around the headstones taking pictures at every angle my work in graveyards is strictly historical not supernatural so when this happened it really caught my attention one day i was in a graveyard that is one of the oldest in my area around the 1600s, but not as well known or popular. It's a smaller graveyard, but always mowed with shorter grass and not overgrown at all. I was there for a while, drawing maps and taking the photos I needed for the 3D models. So I finished up and I went back to my car when I realized that my phone was gone. I searched my car and it wasn't there. So I went back out into the graveyard and walked through every inch of it, retracing my steps exactly Since the place isn't that big, my phone wasn't anywhere to be found. I went back to my car and searched there again, more carefully this time, still no phone. At this point, a weird thought popped into my head. They took it. This was really strange for me to think because, like I said, my interest is historical. I never think of ghosts as still being in graveyards. So I went back into the graveyard and I started to retrace my steps again, but this time I started talking out loud. I explained what I had been doing in the cemetery. I said that I wanted to make sure that no one forgot them and that some of their headstones weren't in great shape, so I wanted to record them for people to see. I said, I know you guys don't know what a phone is, but they're really expensive, and it's going to be hard to keep doing this work if I don't get it back. There was one headstone set a little farther than the rest all by itself, and this time when I walked over to it, I found my phone lying directly in the pathway that I had already walked a few minutes before when I was looking for it the first time. I have a bright pop socket on the phone case, so I would have seen it if it was there when I checked before. I'm sure it wasn't there the first time. In fact, it was really weird for it to be in that spot because it was in an area where there weren't any headstones I would have been bending down to see. And I was wearing sweatpants, so I should have felt it or heard it if the phone just fell out of my pocket. When I got home, That one stone that was set apart is the only one that I wasn't able to render into a 3D model, and to this day, despite trying on different occasions, I still haven't been able to make a good model of it. I guess the inhabitants of the cemetery weren't so sure about me being there, and once I explained myself, they decided I didn't mean any harm. My blog and Instagram aren't Supernatural themed, so I haven't been able to tell this story before there. Or I haven't been able to tell this story there, but it's nice to share it here with you guys. Merry Christmas. Wow, that That's that cool. is cool. Um, I did not, not that I haven't heard of people that take like rubbings of of, of headstones or mm-hmm. uh, I've never heard of anyone making 3D renderings of old headstones. That's kind of cool, but I certainly yeah, haven't I like ever that. heard this term. Uh, Taffophile, file. Have you heard that before, Adam?
0: I have heard it said but I didn't know what it was. Oh yeah. So
1: It's pretty cool. Um yeah, and uh and I'll have to I'm going to check that out cuz I I'd, I'd like to see some of these models. Um Yep. Yeah. So if anybody else uh if you didn't catch it it's at Where the Dead Lie um for anyone that wants to uh check out Alyssa's uh Instagram. Yep,
0: yeah, and I I I think Alyssa's right um that when she spoke her intentions and let them know that she was okay, that's when they went, Okay, we'll give it back. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, makes sense. They
0: they Yeah. They they were wondering why she was poking around their final resting place. And even
1: though they may have not have known what a phone was, if they were that you know, if the if the spirits were that old? they probably observed her enough to know that it was something important to her. Yep. And yep. that's one way to get somebody's attention.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. So thank you for sharing that story. I'm glad we have an outlet for you to be able to share it. All right. So this one comes from Ashley, not my wife. Um, this is E Y not E E different Ashley says, my family growing up would go camping a lot, real and fake. Fake meaning going to some resort that was meant for camping, parking your trailer and pitching tents in designated spots. We lived in the PNW, the Pacific Northwest, so there were plenty of trees and privacy, so sometimes going to these resorts really felt like you were really camping. But, you know, they had a lodge where you could go swimming and play with other kids in a safe place. My sister Tracy and I, met a few kids there our age, and we all went exploring. We were probably early teens. Around that time, the Blair Witch Project came out in theaters. At the time of this story, I hadn't seen it yet. But the other kids uh, we met had. So they were, of course, discussing it and thinking it was all real. So being young, we wanted to go out in the woods and provoke it to see if we could see anything. First weird thing that happened was us girls were in the bathroom getting ready at the sink with a huge mirror that reflected the frosted window. You couldn't see out of the window just an outline of whoever uh, whoever's walking by at a close range. Through the mirror, we saw a figure walk by the window but never come into the restroom. We all got a weird feeling, so we walked outside to see who it was and not a soul in sight. I'd assume that if someone was walking by, then I'd see them also walking off. Second weird thing that happened was we were walking along a trail with a huge clearing on one side of us down a hill with recently cut down trees and an earth wall on the other side of us. So the path we were on was the only way you could go. No one could get past us without us seeing them first. As we were walking, we saw two dark figures pretty far ahead of us riding bikes. We decided to run up to them and say hello. You know, teens, she says. I remember turning around uh, to tell the lagging kids to hurry up when I saw the two figures the same distance away but behind us and the figures ahead of us weren't there anymore again the path we were on we should have been we should have seen them turn around and pass us not to be in front of us one second and behind us in the next the last thing that happened to us was while we were still walking on the path we were up on a hill looking out over the prairie of down trees and saw a tall slender figure with a long coat and bowler hat running out from behind a tree. He ran a few yards, jumped into the air and disappeared. All of this, mind you, was during the day. My sister and I have had other run-ins with this hat man, but that's for a different story. Weird vibes that day, man. I'm a firm believer that if you go seek something out, it will find you. And I agree Mm -hmm. with you on that. Yep. If you look into something, it's going to look back at you. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Every single time. And the hat man, she described that um, exactly like we've discussed before. Um, The hat man usually has a a bowler cap or like a big wide brimmed cap, Mm -hmm. but we have heard of the bowler capped hat Mm -hmm.
1: man. That's right. Very cool. All right. So this one comes from Nikki. Nikki says, In the early morning hours of March 3rd, 2016, my grandfather died. I truly believe my spirit was brought to the afterlife for one last visit. This experience was incredible, and it forever changed my belief system. It was comforting because I now know, without a doubt, there is something after death. Here is that story. First, a few things you should know. My grandfather, whom I called Poppy, was in a nursing home, but he was in good health at this point. In fact, the staff was starting to discuss his discharge plan because he was well enough to go home. He had been admitted to the nursing home to convalesce after a health scare a few weeks prior, but he had recovered with no lasting effects and could completely care for himself. So, his death was very sudden and unexpected. Second, his wife, my grandmother, was much worse off. She was also in that nursing home, but in the memory care facility because of severe Alzheimer's and dementia. Her condition had worsened to the point that she could barely speak because she simply could not remember most words. Lastly, I'm a very light sleeper and when woken up, I am immediately awake and aware. Around 4 a.m. on March 3rd, my then six-month-old puppy had gotten me up for the usual trip outside to do his business. Afterwards, we went back inside to bed like normal. I fell back asleep easily and started to dream. She says, dream in quotes. She says, I say dream because I don't know what else to call it, but I don't think that's what it, this experience was. I remember that floaty, swimmy feeling of falling asleep, then blackness. Then I faded into this bright, well-lit place. It was like I had been placed there and my consciousness had to catch up. I blinked a few times as the blackness fell away to find I was sitting at a table. I looked slowly around to realize I'm at my grandparents' dining room table. In both life and this place, the dining room table was at the back of a large room that served as a dining and living room combined. The kitchen was through a doorway to the right, and I could hear someone, presumably Poppy, making food. This was, admittedly, a familiar scene. He loved to cook, especially for his loved ones, and I had often visited to share a meal with them prior to my grandmother's health troubles. Everything was the same as I remembered it, except that it was better, nicer, perfected. I remember thinking it was like how they would have wanted it if they could have had the money and energy to make it that way. There were no longer any chips in the paint or cracks in the glass of the old photos, and so on. Everything was brightly lit, like sunlight was gently radiating from within but it wasn't too bright. It didn't hurt my eyes, and at this point, I started to think that this was more than just a dream. The television was playing a baseball game on the opposite wall to where I sat, and behind it, the curtains were open to the front yard, sidewalk, and the street beyond. The street was busier than usual, and many more people were walking by than normally would have been in our small town. Everything outside the house appeared to be from the 1950s era, cars, clothing, etc. At this point, I see my great-aunt walk by, which caused me to doubt this situation. You see, to my knowledge, she was alive and well. My grandmother was sitting in the rocking chair next to the table. We were having a conversation that I can no longer remember, but I do take note that she was getting frustrated and confused because she couldn't seem to remember certain words, which I provided for her. It was then that I realized those were the words that she still knew in life here on earth, however you want to say it. And I fully understood that Poppy is the one who has died, and I knew that I was not dreaming. These are fully conscious thoughts that I'm having. I start to stand up to go to him, but an alarming buzzing sound startles me. I look to my right directly at the wall between me and the kitchen where the sound seems to be coming from, only to fall into the blackness again. The buzzing sound continues to my right and I struggle to open my eyes. It takes me a few more buzzes to realize I'm back in my own bed and my cell phone is ringing on the nightstand to the right of my head. I fumble for it. And I have to concentrate very hard to swipe correctly to answer a call from my mother. It's 8.26 a.m. and I know what she is going to say. I managed to groggily answer. I put the phone on the pillow and lay my head on it because staying upright was too difficult right then. She says, Nikki, I have some bad news. Poppy died this morning. I know, I replied. What? How? I haven't even called your sister yet. I'm struggling to wake up from what I assume now was the abrupt and sudden transition from whatever that experience was and my current reality. I very much just wanted to close my eyes and fall asleep, but I struggled to sit up and say, "Uh, give me a minute. You woke me up from this other place." I take a few deep breaths and force my eyes to open. I started by saying that Poppy was okay where he was and the parts of grandma that were no longer with us were there with him. Then I recount the whole thing to my mother. After I finished, I started asking questions about how and when it happened. When the third shift nursing staff did their first round, Poppy had complained of just not feeling well. So as a precaution, they transferred him to the emergency room to be evaluated by a doctor at about midnight. I believe this was the standard practice because the nursing home was in the same building as the hospital. If a patient needed care beyond what the nursing staff could provide, they used the emergency room as a resource instead of maintaining an on-call doctor. Anyway, he spent about three hours in the ER where they did not find any cause for alarm. He was stable, given fluids, and monitored. Around 3 a.m., he was transferred back to the nursing home's care. He told his nurse that he felt much better and was going to get some sleep. By the time the next shift came on for their first round at 5 or 6 a.m., he was gone. All the details work out, from timing of events to the words my grandmother couldn't remember and the placement of the buzzing phone. I believe I experienced a peek into the afterlife, and I am so grateful for it. Oh, and remember how I saw my great aunt out on the street? That fits too. We found out a few days later that she had a serious heart attack that same morning. She ended up in the ICU, but survived. I'd love to know your thoughts about this experience. All right.
0: Uh, holy crap.
1: <laughs> All right. Hit it. Hit it, Adam. I know, I know you're thinking. All right. <laughs> I can, I can oh, see yeah. it.
0: I I've been, I have been thinking for a while now. And before you got to that point, I wrote down to mention this after the story. What if all dementia patients, and, and I say this partially because my great-grandmother, whom I helped take care of in her last years, had dementia. What if that is a slower-than-normal transition to the other side? And she's absolutely correct with her assessment of the words that she didn't know in on the other side is what she still knew here. So what if it is a small, incremental portioning out of your consciousness to the other side? Yeah. Where a lot of us go quickly or in a stage or two, dementia patients, it's not dementia. It's an incremental change from living to the other side. And that's the reason we forget who someone is or what it is because that memory is then transferred to the other side to be with your subconscious, your spirit, your whatever in the other yeah. side. I, I love what this story has made me start thinking. Oh, yeah. About. And I'm going to do more research into that. So thank you for this story and I, I am absolutely 100% fascinated and on board with this story. Yeah.
1: I like it too. This
0: is amazing.
1: I like it too. Uh, Nikki, I like your, um, your interpretation of what happened. Um, I, I'm, I'm with Adam, um, in that transition. um, Understanding what what Alzheimer's is, um, kind of helps you 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 go along with Adam's theory here. Um, Alzheimer's, you know, everybody associates the the dementia with Alzheimer's, but you got to understand, Alzheimer's is a disease. Um, right. You know it it slowly causes the brain to deteriorate. The dementia is merely a part of Alzheimer's. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so I, I like your thought, Adam, because of the way the brain begins to deteriorate. What if that is the part of the brain that's leaving? Okay, yes, if yeah, we're if we're exactly. talking about just the consciousness, as that part of the brain goes away, that that part of the consciousness goes with it.
0: It needs somewhere to yeah, go, yeah. So it goes it's, to the it's, other it's side. It's waiting
1: for the rest. Um, yes, I, you know, I I do like that. Um, I I'm not a hundred percent sure this is a glimpse into the afterlife. Um, I think that maybe, just maybe, this was. This is like maybe a. Um, a transitional space. Yeah, you know, it's it's not the mm-hmm. actual yep, afterlife. Yep. That this is maybe where uh, spirits going through that transition are, are, and that's why it it appeared to her as something familiar. It it may have yeah. been something totally different for her, her Poppy, for her grandmother, um, but to her, this is. This is what it appeared to be because this was very comforting um, and familiar.
0: I yep. mean, can, there are many stories of that liminal area between life and the afterlife yeah. that you hear about people going to during near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. That they don't go all the way; they go to this sorting area or this waiting area, and there's religions. That discuss the sorting area after you die, you go here for, you know, your your life to be judged and for you to go where you need to go. And there's theories that sometimes the reason we have spirits that stay on Earth, they're not actually on Earth all the time. They're in this waiting area and they have yet to move forward into the afterlife so they're sitting here in this area and they come back occasionally because they're not ready to move on
1: i love that and and i i love it for this reason how many times have we talked about when people experience a a haunting a spirit and the actions of the spirit seem to be repetitive they seem to be doing something that they would have done in life okay so what if these spirits are in that that liminal space doing exactly this doing what she said was familiar her poppy was in the kitchen and he was cooking because that was something he loved to do and her grandmother his wife is in the other room you know essentially being cared for he's he's cooking dinner for yep. them okay this was obviously something that he enjoyed and would have done. And this was a very common thing and he's just doing it again in this, this liminal space and that there, there's a really good chance that had she been in that old house, that room, that this could have been an experience with her conscious and seeing Mm -hmm. these things happen or feeling them happen. Right. Um, I, I I do I love I love that thought that what we're seeing that when we consciously experience a haunting is is those spirits in that liminal space doing familiar things for them.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So as you can tell, this story hit a chord mm-hmm. with us. Your experience um, hit a chord with me and Matt. So again, thank you so much for sending that in. Um, sometimes. We find there are experiences like that that make us realize something that we have been thinking about for a while, but haven't connected. Yeah. And that story connected a few, few loose wires mm-hmm. for Matt yeah. and I and helped us see something we've been pondering for a while. So thank you yeah, for sharing Nikki, that. Nikki, we uh, we love the story. Appreciate very thank much. You. All right. Another one real quick. Uh, this one is from Debbie, and says, "This isn't my story, as it happened before I was born, but it happened to my dad and grandfather. My dad was born in 1942, and he was an older teenager when this happened, so about 1959 or so. My dad and grandparents lived in Newton, Massachusetts, Massachusetts which is just outside Boston. My grandfather's sister decided to open the first souvenir shop on Cape Cod, and so one evening." After working all day, my dad and grandfather loaded up a 1940-something box truck with supplies for They set out about 7 p.m., and this was the days before major highways. On a good day back then, Newton to Cape would take about four hours. So by the time they loaded up, drove to the Cape, unloaded, got something to eat, and headed home, it was after midnight. There were no lights on the road, and they were driving through the cranberry bogs that lined the road going to the Cape. It was also very foggy. There were times when my dad had to lean out the passenger side with a flashlight aimed on the ground to keep them from driving into a bog. About two in the morning, my dad was half asleep and my grandfather was driving. They weren't going very fast. Again, lots of fog, one lane road and a 1940s truck. My dad looked up for a second and saw a very large creature with big eyes about seven foot tall. He didn't say anything until about 10 minutes later. My grandfather asked if he saw that. He did, but they had no idea what they saw. They looked in the newspaper to see if a bear had escaped from a zoo or a circus, but nothing. They both were convinced that they saw Bigfoot. My grandfather rarely spoke about it. I, I think he was embarrassed, but Dad is more open to the supernatural and will tell this story to anyone who asks. They were convinced and who am i to argue
1: that's cool yeah i i think i would probably agree that it was a a bigfoot type creature um yeah that's that's really crazy
0: and you know me and bigfoot i love that cranberries and cran i'm a cranberry freak (laughs) man now, see, speaking of Ashley makes a homemade cranberry sauce every yeah. year. Oh my God. Oh, I man. bet that's awesome. I don't know how she does it, but I grew up loving the jellied cranberry sauce out of yeah. a can yeah. with the ridges. Yeah. Still looks like a freaking can. And when Ashley and I got together, she's like, I am not eating jellied cranberry sauce. And she's like, I make my own. I'm, I was skeptical, but I was like, how could it get better than jellied cranberry sauce? Yeah. Dad Gummit, man that's good yeah. stuff oh yeah so yes i kind of do like uh, i, I kind of am a cranberry freak I,
1: I made it i made it a long time ago and it is not easy so i have not made it no simple. it's not um but amanda's mom makes a cranberry custard pie that is out of this world and neither one of us got any of it at thanksgiving it is oh, that it's it. that good that we didn't even get to it i mean i had to, i had to fight yeah. i had to damn near fight my dad to get Get a piece of her <laughs> carrot cake, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> well, for
0: Christmas, Ashley's making a cranberry cheesecake. She's mm. going to make a cheesecake and then put that cranberry sauce on top of it. Man. So I cannot wait to dig uh, into that.
1: See, now you got me hungry. Ima- <laughs> oh, I'm starving. Amanda's that's got what a I'm recipe for a sopapilla cheesecake. She said she's going to make this weekend, so I'm excited about that. Oh, that sounds yeah. good. Just looking oh. at the picture, was like, oh, that's great. Okay, yeah, right. so we digress that. We've switched over to food. Now, let's get back into the listener stories. All right, so our last story for this episode comes from Ray. Ray says, I'd love to be able to tell you in person, this is uh, pretty much an episode on its own. It's been a 10-year burned memory for me said, I want to make sure you get the details. It's a lot to take in and a few different strange events all in the same string of weird stuff. So I was, I, so I was raised atheist and grew up with my grandparents from the uh, time I was a teenager until I was an adult. He says, I pretty much left school. I worked at Hooters as a cook for seven years. I started there at age 16 at the downtown Indianapolis location. So being raised atheist, I never had a belief, but I always had a curiosity about anything strange. So a little after I turned 20 in September of 2011, right before Christmas, I moved into my own apartment my grandparents helped me get. I also transferred Hooters locations to fit the new house location. I was there for a few months and I met a girl that I would talk to and say hi and stuff like that. Well, I asked her if she would like to hang out on Saturday, and she said she was busy, so we made a different date. So Saturday rolls around, and my buddy Fat Boy calls me. <laughs> that sounds like me. I mean, I had like all my friends with <laughs> my like, names like that. Um, He called me and asked if I wanted to go to a pagan rally. Never been invited to a pagan rally. Me Don't forget your goat leggings. Um, he knew that I was curious about anything different. So I go to this rally and guess who I bump into this girl says, so this is where it gets weird. We started hanging out after that. I'm at her house one night and she made some hot chocolate and we were hanging in the bedroom together, sharing this hot chocolate. He said, you know how it is when it's really hot, you use the spoon and you blow on it, then drink it. Well, I did that, and she did that, and she set the cup on the nightstand. We began talking, and I asked her to hand me the cup of cocoa. It was still steaming hot as it was before, so I began to swirl the spoon I had used in the cup. When I pulled the spoon, to my shocking surprise, it was not a spoon anymore. It was a fork. Needless to say... Hmm. He said, my eyes about fell out of my head from what I was seeing. She started to shake her head and said, I'm really sorry, Ray. Then she proceeded to tell me I have spirits and they follow me around. About the time she says that, the TV in the living room turns on by itself and it's full blast volume out of nowhere. He says, I'm definitely shocked at this point, but my curiosity is running wild. I searched the entire house. I'm thinking she does magic, and I'm trying to remember when she could have swapped the spoon out and that she's faking all of this. Later that night, I wake up around 3.30 a.m., and I hear on the wall above my head the the, the sound of someone tapping all of their fingers one by one like on a desk. You know, you start with the pinky and end on the index. That's literally what I was hearing above my head as I'm lying in the bed and she's next to me sound asleep. So now I'm genuinely spooked for the first time in my life. All the weird places I went to and I've never, never experienced anything. But for the first time, I'm stumped. About a week went by and I was going home from work pretty late, maybe around 1 a.m. I lived on the second floor in the very last apartment. It had a sliding glass door on the back with the long pool curtains and a balcony. I'm driving up the drive and I look up at my apartment sliding door on the back. All my lights are on and the curtains are open and who I think is my roommate Brad standing there looking at me. My couch faced the slide door and there was an eating area behind the couch with a bright light on. I'm looking from below as I'm driving at this completely black person looking back at me standing behind the couch with arms down on the back of the couch. We are definitely looking right at each other and it felt like time stopped for a minute. He's clear as day, complete shape and it's absolutely three-dimensional. He said, You know, it's it's clear that what I'm seeing is a person, but he is completely black, yet so defined, I can almost see his muscle build. It was that clear. So I'm about to turn the corner to park my truck, and he turns, and I watch him walk into the bedroom door that is on his left-hand side next to the couch. I park and hop out and walk up the stairs to the front door. This entire event for me seeing, first to me parking my car and walking to my front door took about three minutes, and I'd say about 80% of that, we were looking at one another. He says, I put my key in the door, and before I turn it, I look through the side window uh, that's really thin, but the entire height of the door, I look in, and there's not one single light on. At this point, I have my weapon ready to draw, and I am completely spooked. I open the door, reach in, turn on the light immediately. I notice the sliding door. I literally was just looking through. The blinds are shut completely, and they they aren't moving or anything. There's not one light on in the place. For the first time in my life, I am officially scared. I've been through foster homes, no dad, an extremely abusing, drug-addicted mother, and was finally saved by my grandparents at age 13. I've been fearless all my life. I searched this house, and obviously, no one was there. He says, now I'm 30, and from all these years, I understand that I witnessed a shadow person, and he is extremely real. Still to this day, I am an atheist, so I don't believe in dead people in terms of a ghost. What I saw was a full-body person, completely three-dimensional and to be honest his image is burned and it bothers me to this day i've been with my current girlfriend for six years to be completely honest if she is away i sleep on the couch sorry for the extremely long email i'd love for you to share my story i finally want to share it and my my girlfriend talked me into it she thinks this will help me somehow and we're writing all this down feels pretty good actually I've chopped it a bit to fit in the email, but that's basically the story. Now, I have never heard a description of a shadow person in three dimensions. Have you?
0: Right, right. No, uh, most of the time, it's legitimately a shadow. It's two-dimensional like Flat Stanley.
1: And I've I've also never heard of a shadow person giving the appearance that they were looking back at you. Enough where you would yeah. feel that they were looking at you. You know, mm-hmm. you see them, they're there, you just kind of make an assumption. But you can tell when someone's looking at you. Yep. And to be able to see that much definition and and to to feel like, hey, that that thing is looking at me. Um, that's, that's new for me. I've, I've not heard anything quite like this.
0: No, no, that's crazy. Um, but thank you for sending it in. And I, I mean, I, I think sometimes writing stuff down, getting it off your chest, talking to somebody about it is cathartic. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you sending it to us and us discussing it on the show, uh, will help you out. Because stuff like that, especially if you don't understand what's happening, can can really stick yeah. with you and, and can mess yeah. you up.
1: I mean, it's just like, you know, something like this is just like going to therapy. I mean, you know, you, yeah. you open up about a problem, a concern, um, you, you learn more about yourself, and it helps you get through a, a hard experience or experience is, um, I think th- this may be similar, you know, for you, you, you might, um, yep. you might notice that you're, you're better able to cope with it. Um, that you, you may even have a little bit more understanding of it a- after, mm-hmm. you know, a- expressing it in this way. And and I've done this too. And Adam, I think you and I have talked about this, you know, personally, that when you take the time to write something down, it 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 tends to become more real. When you can actually yep. when you can actually look at it and read it, then it, it can make more sense to you. And it helps you organize what's going on in your head. Cause, you know, a lot of times, you know, scary experiences, traumatic experiences, they become just a jumbled mess of crap flips around in your head and bits and pieces of it come out at different times and it, and it, you know, causes you to have some issues, you know, whether it's you, you, you hate clowns or you can't sleep in a certain room or you have to sit in a restaurant facing the door or whatever. And when you start to Mm -hmm. write all that out and you read it yourself, it, it kind of helps you put things in the proper file and it, it, even if you continue to those behaviors, it, it it lets you understand it a little bit more.
0: Right, right, exactly. Speaking of sitting with your uh, back to the door, I can't sit with my back to a door in a in a restaurant. I have to sit facing yeah. the door.
1: My mom's the um, same way.
0: Just Yep. I, I wanna see what's coming at me. So I I get that completely. Um but thank you to everybody who has sent these stories in. Uh, if you didn't hear yours tonight, um, have no fear. We'll get to it for the new year's episode. Um, new year's episode might be even longer than mm-hmm. this one. So just hang out. Uh, you're going to get a couple real long episodes for us. So, um, hope you enjoy yeah. it. Uh, we really enjoy reading y'all stories and, and we love, the participation where y'all join in, in the storytelling. Yeah. So thank yeah, you.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know how Adam feels, but um, these are some of the best stories we've had. And, and, and mm-hmm. we have had 100%. some really good ones over the years. Um, these are some of the best ones that, that we've ever read and you guys have submitted. So thank you for that. I mean, you can really tell that you guys um, put in, uh, you know, the effort to present these stories to us so that we can share them with all the other members of the graveyard. Um, I, I know sometimes it seems, you know, just kind of, it's, it's fun. Some people may think it's trivial, but we really appreciate it so much because at a time where, where, where we're kind of winding down our year, Um, it becomes tough to to research and get new shows out we're relying on you guys. you guys write the last shows of the year for us and yep every year that it 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 takes uh, a a heavy weight off of us and we appreciate it so much i mean it it is a christmas gift to us it allows us time to to hang out with our families and uh and and see friends and enjoy the holidays and we hope you do the same so we'll, Absolutely. we'll see you again uh, uh right before the new year yep and uh just like always we'll save you a seat in the graveyard
0: see you soon